When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we break down the alleged coercive control by tennis star Alexander Zverev over Olya Sharapova with expert Dr. Christine Kochiola. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have the return of Dr. Christine Marie Cochiola. How are you? I am great. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And for those of you that don't know, Dr. Cochiola. She's been on our show before a couple of times. She is a course of control expert and educator, an LCSWADSW. She's a researcher, a survivor. She's an advocate since the age of 19. She's passionate about protecting children from abuse. And, you know, when I think of coercive control, I've spoken to Evan Stark. You've you've learned under Evan Stark, and he had nothing but glowing things to say about you when I spoke to him. And you've been my educator about coercive control and things that I've learned about coercive control. I've tried to start thinking about everything, you know, because narcissistic abuse was the buzzword when I began my show's called Narcissist Apocalypse to tell people find me. And then I realized, oh, this is domestic violence. And now I'm in the space of, no, this is all coercive control. Oh, I love that you just said that. And I knew you would be happy with me saying that. And I'm kind of in this spot where I want to promote that word as much as possible, that term as much as possible. So people start thinking of coercive control over domestic violence, over domestic abuse, over narcissistic abuse, because it encompasses everything. And to me, it's a far better educational tool than those other terms. Those other terms don't you know, people are afraid of those terms, in my in my opinion. And people don't want to say I was abused or, or this happened. And I think using course of control, it's a much easier way for people to feel comfortable talking about it. And it's it's for younger people to be able to teach course of control. And understanding the ins and outs of like the psychological, emotional, all of these things that are going on to me is a way better way, like it's just a way better way to educate younger people and older people 
without having them run away and that they understand the psychology of everything that is going on. And I've been trying to figure out, you know, how do I help, you know, propel that term? I know that you had the course of control conference in November, was it? Um, I've spoken to someone who has the coercive control subreddit and has done nothing with it. And they have agreed actually to let me take half charge of it if I want to, if you want to be a part of that, because that's a big place to start a conversation there and to be the one that is, you know, that's a big place to be in charge of that thing. So Anyways, I went off on a tangent there that you didn't think I was going off on. That's okay. I have so much to say. So, <laughs> so, before, so before we even get to what our show is about, everyone, today we're going to be talking about course of control, but we're going to be doing it from a place of analyzing an alleged course of control situation involving uh, tennis star Alexander Zverev. And his ex-girlfriend, Olia Sharapova, and this happened many years ago. And then there was a recent case with his newer girlfriend, who was also the mother of his child. And that, uh, according to you, you told me today that that has been dropped as of, as of this week. But when I read about that case and I read about what Sharapova was saying, I was like, we should do an educational episode about this because... Within the tennis world, what is going on is, you know, the old guard and everyone before I get in, I'm going off on tangents, but you are a United States Tennis Association um, representative of some sort. The terrible United States Tennis Association representative. But yes, I enjoy it very much. And um, <laughs> it was something I took up recently. I, it was my post, my post-divorce thing for me. So there's hope after the divorce, right? There's hope after the separation. So yeah. you were the right person to do this episode with. In 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 men's tennis, you know, there's been the old guard that has been had a longevity longer than any other uh, generation of tennis players, and finally, the younger players are starting to you know, make their way and, and, and do well and get deeper into tournaments. And Alexander Zverev is one of those people. And now at the Australian Open, he lost in the semifinals. And now we're getting to a point where he could win a major event, you know, the French Open, Wimbledon, anything coming up soon. He has the possibility of winning. And this is an issue that the ATP men's tour has not addressed in any sort of way. You know, they had an investigation. It took them 16 months. They said it was more or less a he said, she said situation. And they weren't going to do anything. The further this guy gets into a tournament, and if he gets to a final of the French Open or Wimbledon or the U.S. Open, they have to do something. And I wanted to have this ready to go and really put it out right now um, because there's going to be eyeballs on this. And I want the words coercive control at the top of this and to explain coercive control to, to everyone so they understand what's going on. So if one day in the summer, Wimbledon happens, he's in the final, someone types in this information, I want to be at the top of that search and our information is going to be there for everyone to see. 
you know, so that's kind of just to get ahead of everything. So again, I went on a, a little bit of a rant there. So now let's get back to everything I said previously about coercive control before we get back to the tennis. Okay. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so by the way, there's nobody better to be doing this. I mean, seriously, you have been such an amazing advocate for victims and survivors. And can I mention that I, who I was when I did my anonymous one so that your that listeners could listen if they want to? Cause yes. I don't yes. So I, I was Mia, right? So or was like Maya, Mia or Maya? I can't remember now. <laughs> um, do you remember? I think it was Mia. And if you actually go to our Spotify, it's the episode I actually rec- it's the you can recommend one episode for people to start with. I put your episode. Oh, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. All right. So yes, we need to change the vernacular. So the problem is, is the word domestic violence, which is how all legislation is set up, which by the way, we didn't even have legislation about women and safety until like 1994. It's just kind of ludicrous, the whole thing. Yet we know 35% of women suffer violence in their lifetime. But the problem is that word violence. Every time we use it, people assume it has to be a hit. And so, so many women, anyone is suffering coercive control. They're suffering, coercive control can be physical. Of course it can be. But we really have to understand it's about one person exerting power over another. And so we have to look beyond the violent incident model. So I say coercive control is the underpinnings. I'm going to like, and not just the underpinnings of all domestic abuse. It's the underpinnings of all abuse. Think about child perpetrators. Think about Larry Nasser, U.S. gym, like, you know, coach, right? For forever, 11 years or whatever it was. He was coercively controlling all those young girls. So it's a grooming process. It's a, I love you, um, but I'm not going to be nice to you today. Oh, I love you so much. It's Valentine's Day. I'll bring you flowers, but maybe tomorrow I won't talk to you because you wore yoga pants to the gym. So the idea is that I'm going to create this trauma bond with you. And it's going to be really challenging for you to leave because a trauma bond is a neurological reaction like a drug addiction. And we know that now. The science proves that. So I see coercive control as the foundation of all isms, racism, sexism. Think about it. Think about where racism came from. It's like this idea of a group of people or one person having power over another because of their race because of their ethnicity. We see this in in genocides across the world. This is about power and control. And so, yes, it happens behind the front door. That is what we call the micro level in intimate relationships. But it also happens on the meso level. It happens with agencies. It happens within schools. It happens within employment. It happens when you bring your child to the pediatrician and they refuse to make a report because they're afraid of getting involved in a situation where there might be domestic abuse or this intimate partner abuse. And it happens on the macro level. Roe v. Wade being overturned is an example of coercive control by a system, right? By a huge system. So I certainly agree that these people are have the character traits of narcissists, but it's the problem, as you kind of allude to, is we use that word flippantly now. Everybody's a narcissist. And the problem is, is it's a spectrum. Dr. Romani was just talking about this last night on a live. She was like, it's like there's low level, which is irritating and annoying and problematic sometimes in relationships. But then there's the person in the middle who can be harmful, But then most of the people I'm dealing with, most of the people I think you hear from are dealing with people who are not 
just a narcissist. They're a narcissistic abuser. They are a 10. They are in the dark triad, we call it. The antithesis of the dark triad is someone like perhaps you, someone who's extremely empathic and kind and loyal to a fault. Certainly, all of the victims I've ever worked with, they are the antithesis of the dark triad, which is not narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy, a willingness to do things that are so egregious that you can cross the line between legal and illegal and thinking you're above the law. We see this all the time in family court. So I, so what is coercive control? It is all of these facets of grooming. It is legal. It is it is psychological abuse, including gaslighting, manipulation, intimidation, and isolation. It is also financial abuse, and it can be happening pre-separation or post-separation. It is legal abuse, and oftentimes the financial abuse gets further exerted during that legal abuse. It is sexual abuse. It is sexual trafficking. It is it is the trafficking of children in our family court where they're not being protected from abusers. It is um, the weaponization of children. It is all of those things. And what I always say is that if you are with an abuser, they didn't start this when you left. That's post-separation abuse, which is a form of coercive control. It's one of the strategies. If I can't control you, I'm now going to control you. I'm going to exert more control over you. I'm going to hurt you more. I'm going to turn your children against you. But it happened starting day one. These people show up as charlatans. They seem like decent human beings. They are not. They never were. They were never a good father. They were never a good husband. They just had a great act. And we fell for it because that's what we do. We believe the best in people. We're highly optimistic. So it's a stripping away of who, like, you know, as you know, from my story, I was married to someone for over 27 years. I didn't really notice anything until year 20. I started dating at 16. Like such a large part of my life was dedicated to believing this person had some redeeming qualities. And that's what that person hoped for, that I would keep trying, keep working. And, you know, when it comes, well, you're reminding me of a conversation I had with someone (laughs) earlier today. I speak to a lot of people and I was trying to figure out as well, like my posts today for social media, I've been trying to be a little bit more active and it had to do with my post was about like no being a complete sentence but when I started to write I started to remember a lot of the so many I've listened to over a thousand survivors tell their stories and the ones that jump out a lot are the ones where they don't know that abuse that course of control is going on and then the one day that they said no was the day they really found out who they were really dealing with and things started to crumble. Now, I'm not going to say quickly, but their life changed at that point. Once no happened, they were knocked off of a pedestal. But once no was said, then they got to see the prison that they were really in the whole entire time. The moment you do create a clear boundary is often, that's that's a really good way to determine if someone's an abuser. Create a, create a clear boundary and see what happens. Um, and if they're really angry and treat you horribly, then, and there's a pattern of that. And we always want to look for patterns. It's, it's it, you know, but these people do have a pattern of doing that. Yeah. 
So with coercive control and the alleged, and I'm going to use the word alleged here, everyone, uh, the alleged uh, case of coercive control between Alexander Zverev and the, the incidents with Olya Sharapova, Something about their relationship was that she wasn't with him all the time. She would go on tour with him, but then she was able to also go go home. So can coercive control happen when you are are apart in this way? Sure. So Evan Stark actually uses this phrase, which I think is quite um, telling. Coercive control crosses time and space. So, and and so I think it's important to like, think about like victims who maybe they've left. They're not even anymore living. They've escaped the relationship. They're living in their own home. Are they still being coercively controlled? Absolutely. It's crossing time and space. And so even if it's a long distance relationship, that doesn't mean that abuse cannot be occurring. And it's about diminishing her. So in some ways, she probably felt like she didn't have as much agency in the relationship. She didn't have voice. She didn't have the ability to say how she really felt. Because if she did, there might be repercussions or, of course, physical assaults, which is what we know, right, occurred. So, uh, so now I'm going to call out some things that Olya Sharapova said, and I want you to kind of slot them into where you find them on the power and control wheel and where, uh, how you feel about these things when it comes to course of control. So the first one I have here is a quote, whenever I wanted to break up or quit, I would stop, stop talking to him or put him on my phone's block list. However, he would still reach out to me through my friends or family members. So that's an example of him not respecting her boundaries, right? And what often happens is there's this push-pull in these relationships because, first of all, the abuser might turn on the charm and be really apologetic and sorry. And then the victim actually, that's that trauma bond, actually believes there's a possibility that this person may have changed. And so she may go back. This is why we know it takes on average seven attempts to escape an abusive relationship, right? So she's showing us that pattern right there, the push-pull. And so he wasn't respecting her boundaries. And then, you know, what a lot of people say, well, then she shouldn't have gone back. But the reality is, again, that trauma bond, that neurological response actually creates a desire to hope, like to hold on to hope. And so there's that. But also, perhaps he threatened her. He said, you know, I don't know the, you know, what I know about perpetrators in general is they will use intimidation and threats. And so is it possible that he will engage other people in the false narrative? You know, why isn't she talking to me? I didn't do anything wrong. It sounds like he was engaging those flying monkeys, other people. But also, is it possible that he's threatening her? You know, if you do this, you will lose X, Y, and Z. And, you know, so there's always that. There's always these threats that are very, they're just thrown out sometimes. They're not always, they're not always overt. They may be more covert. There's a knowledge that something may happen. And in that, victims know they're not idle threats and they're afraid. And so sometimes they respond. Yeah. So coercive control for sure. And going back to the trauma bond in in how they met and... So they met when they were teenagers and they met when they were very young. They knew each other. They were friendly. They were friends. Uh, Sharapova was once a tennis player as well. And then he went on 
and became a big star. He saw her pictures online and rekindled their friendship, which turned into a romance. So there's a history here and a history where she knows him in a light where there is no uh, abuse or course of control going on. It is not just one year ago or two years ago or three years ago. This is a long time ago. So there's a, a history. And it's also someone who's from her co- same country as her. And, you know, this person is also a star. This person has power. This person has control. So immediately he's up here. She's down here, even though she sees him as an equal because they knew each other when they were younger. The reality of the situation is he has power and she does does not. And the male privilege that goes along with that as well. Yeah, the dynamic is set up. The dynamic is is already set up. Right. And and then in that there's an ability to exert more power because the dynamic is already the foundation is laid. And there's leeway given when you've known someone for so long about what is actually going on. And in a lot of cases, when you're younger and you see how someone has grown up, you've seen it with your own eyes. So you can be like, hey, you know, I understand where that person's coming from. You know, I've seen it. I know how that person's parents are or things along those lines. So you have that empathy for for people as well. Yeah, I think you alluded to it earlier, though, like how important it is that we begin teaching young people about this, right? And so, you know, here she is, she's in a relationship that young people go into relationships pretty naively, right? Like they fall in love and it's wonderful. And then they don't know what love bombing is. Nobody's talking about or teach. I mean, I'm trying to teach about that. And I have like a webinar that I teach about that. But like, where is your line learning at a very young age? Where is your line? And if somebody's crossed it, then that's a sign, right? And I, you know, what are the green flags in relationships? Not red flags. I and mean, we could talk about red flags, but what are green flags? What does every person deserve to have in a relationship? And so, you know, here she is young, naive, and and she, you know, thinks he's this person that she knew from a long time ago. And the reality is he's someone different. He's someone very different. And within this relationship, allegedly... You know, Zverev began telling Olya, you're a nobody, saying you didn't earn anything in this life. I'm a successful person. I earn money, but you're a nobody. And where would you slot that on that list? Yeah, so so verbal assaults are psychological in nature because they're diminishing of someone, right? When we put someone down, we're, we're diminishing their their ability to really feel authentically themselves. And so that's, I mean, it's it's psychological abuse, but under that is verbal assaults. And, you know, it's interesting because I think that that's like a really good like time to like Dr. Stark's uh, quote that I love, because for me, it just truly highlights what experiences are. Course of control is like carpenter ants devouring the foundation of a house. You don't even know it's happened until it's too late. And so these these abusers come in and they just continue to diminish slowly and surely. Now, I imagine he said that horrible thing to her, 
but nobody thinks people don't call that abuse. They say, oh, he, he, you know, he's he's verbally abusive, maybe, but they don't really see that the purpose of being verbally abusive is to undermine the foundation of who you are is so that I can further control you. And that's where the disconnect is. It's like, you know, you have someone who says, you know, he manipulates me all the time or he doesn't show up when he's supposed to show up to pick up the kids or whatever. And it seems like such a minor, and I'm not saying minor, but it doesn't seem on the scale of one to 10 really humongous. But if you start to connect it to why is he doing that? Why? He's doing it to exert how to diminish her and exert power over her. And in this way, he gets to pull her in more and have her relinquish less of her autonomy. If I can have her relinquish less of her autonomy, I get to exert more power and control over her. And then speaking of autonomy, one situation that happened, allegedly a situation that happened, was when Zverev would call her and text her while she was out with her friends. And he'd continuously call and text and then he would demand, according to Olya, that she talk with him over her friends and he'd say things like, I'm not important to you. Do you not love me? Things along those lines. So this is a couple of things going on. And, you know, one of them to me is I call it isolation through um, taking up your time. In one way, like you know, because you're you're taking that person's time, you're invading their space, which is another thing. You're harassing them, and you are using guilt here as well, and you're isolating them as well in the other way of it's me or your friends. Right. So there's a, a lot of things kind of going on with this alleged situation. So how do you feel about this? Yeah, so it's the control of time and space, right? And um, so um, the One Love Foundation does a wonderful video that I actually have in my Where Is Your Line video, but it actually talks about this, like, consistent consistent texting. Where are you? If you loved me, all of those types of examples. That young people, again, are we talking about this with young people so that they actually, like, that, again, becomes for them, hmm, there's something not right in this relationship. It's about him controlling her while she's out and about and in, in, in controlling her time and space. I would say, again, to your point, definitely isolation. The goal is to get her to not be as willing to hang out with friends and to share information with friends, whatever it is. But I think also, um, I think uh, I wrote something down here and I can't read my writing, but I think the idea behind if I can control even while you're not with me, so the point is about the distance you were talking about. If I can control you while you're not with me, then that gives me so much more ability to control you while you are with me. And that's the goal for sure. Yeah. And then eventually in their relationship, according to Olya, she was physically abused. She was had her head hit into a wall. And then she allegedly says that Zverev started to lie and he said that she hit him first and that he didn't do it and he'd never done it. And she was just like, what? I'm on the floor. What are you talking about? So what's going on in this situation when it comes to course of control? 
Yeah, like that is like the number, virtually the number one strategy of all of these abusers. This is why I have a hard time with statistics related to male violence, male men being victims of violence, because men constantly use DARVO. They deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. And this is so, you know, I have a client recently where, you know, he basically, she went and banged on the bedroom door to get into the bedroom, and he basically called the police and said she had assaulted him. And so now he goes into, she was arrested, even though she hadn't done anything, and he goes in the registrar as a victim of domestic abuse, and he's not even a victim. He is just darvoing her. So, um it sounds like he's doing that, but also I think it's important for people to recognize that just because, so coercive control is the underpinning, but it doesn't mean that physical violence won't happen. And as the abuser begins to lose their ability to control, they're going to exert more control. And what's the ultimate way to gain control is physical violence, especially by a man, right, over a woman because of the strength. So it, it just seems like the continuum was con- it, it was that's what we know happens. The trajectory is it may not start off that way, but it may in fact end that way. As a matter of fact, ninety four percent of homicides out of the UK, out of a study of three hundred and fifty eight victims, ninety four percent of them there was a history of coercion and control. So we just know that that is going to be the end result eventually is physical violence. And. When it comes to this relationship that we're talking about and how it's long distance, but she's also there, you know, she said that she feels alone while she's with him and that there was no one there to support her while she's being made to feel like she's a bad person. And then when she's away, we've already given the example of the alleged incident where she's with her friends and, you know, there's the texting and the calling that is going on. And there wasn't a specific incident as far as financial abuse goes, but in some of her quotes, she said that she was willing to give up her career to be on tour with him. And when you think about the life that she's living you know, it's tough unless you're a digital nomad, which, you know, these days it's a little bit easier to be on tour supporting someone in their career and then going back to where you are and then being made to feel guilty and terrible about not communicating with them. To me, there's a financial abuse aspect of this that's going on. Because, you know, she's kind of damned if she does or, or she's damned if she doesn't, no matter where she is. And that will eventually, even though technically it didn't happen yet, would have impeded on her ability to make her own living. So that's kind of par for the course. You know, either you're made to overwork and contribute or you're made to be on a budget or you're made to rely and become dependent upon the other person so that that way they have, again, the ability to just control every aspect of your life. And another thing that Sharapova said was going on was that she was always blamed as the reason that he competed badly. It was because of her, she says, and that she was the reason for all of his losses. 
And to him, she was the reason for all of his problems. So where do you slot this in as far as control goes? Yeah, so it's, again, diminishing her as a human being. And this is the thing. So Biderman, Albert Biderman did that wonderful coercion chart, right? And uh, he was researching people in the Korean War under communist regime and explaining how readily we can diminish people so that they actually will align with us, right? So if I keep eroding away your autonomy and take away all of the aspects of who you are, say that you're worthless without me, say that you'll never amount to anything without me, and I maybe throw you a breadcrumb, (laughs) literally, then you might actually come back. And so he is doing all of those strategies. And, you know, this idea of, um, in general, I I don't want to, I don't want to be rude, but in general, there's this idea a lot of times because of misogynistic views that women can be blamed for all of society's problems. And he's just taking on that, that misogynistic like role. He's just, he, it sounds like he like literally falls right into it and real and realizes his power over her and exerts it. And you just mentioned those roles and there's a quote here, uh, that, uh, Sharapova says, allegedly says, why that he says to her, why did I come home and you're not here? I need to clean this. You're not here. Why are you at the salon? Why am I waiting for you? You don't love me? And she was, her response was like, what are you talking about? And, you know, that, uh, you know, when you're talking about men's roles, patriarchal roles, misogynistic roles, you know, this person has this idea of this is your role. This is my role. I'm here. Why aren't you here? This is supposed to be clean. I'm not the one to clean it when I'm sure they could have easily just been like, boop, boop, done. But there's this idea of roles that are stuck in a lot of coercive controllers' heads that comes from society. And it's, again, right here being played out. Yeah, no, and I just love that you just call them coercive controllers. And that's why I like the term, because coercive control describes what the coercive controllers are doing. And so the more that we lift the vernacular, elevate the vernacular, and people understand all the aspects of coercive control, then we can actually pivot to the perpetrator and say they are coercive controllers. And they have character logic, they are character logically disordered. And you're bringing up an important point here. I think oftentimes we talk about these people as meeting the criteria in the DSM-5, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, it's what we use to diagnose people with. I don't really like the DSM-5 because it was created, sadly, by the patriarchy. And a lot of the diagnoses were created to separate people who seemed problematic in society from people who weren't. So, you know, people had positions of power, you know, medical personnel, psychiatrists, mostly men, were able to make decisions about what was determined a diagnosis. However, it's useful in coming up and looking at criteria. And one of the things we don't talk often about is that people who have these character traits also do a lot of 
splitting. Everything's black or white. People are good or bad. Think about when victims leave the abuser. She's all of a sudden on the shit list, excuse me, right? She's on the bad list, right? And so that is the black and white thinking and the also very significant worry about abandonment. These abusers, like if she says she's leaving, why are you leaving? I love you. Don't leave me. This very significant abandonment. And that actually really falls very well in line with what we know as borderline. And so the reality is, is that the character traits of these people set them up to be people who cannot have healthy, they just simply cannot have healthy relationships. They can pretend to have healthy relationships. They can cover up their shame and behave in a way that is performative when they need to. Some of them do it for 30 years and they do it really well. And I'll just tell you a little story. I received an email today from a woman who had heard my interview with Dr. Evan Stark. He came out with his new book, um, uh, Children of Course of Control. And he describes children as secondary victims because in these family systems, they're not necessarily the primary focus of the abuser, but the abuser is going to use them and weaponize them against the person who is the primary focus of the abuse, the 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 person who left, right? The person who escaped. But anyway, this woman had heard that interview. She had um, seen it and she was said, I couldn't stop crying when I was watching it because everything that you were describing was my entire life. And then Brandon, she tells me she's 80 years old and she just figured it out. She just figured it out. Like this is how insidious and nuanced it is. This is how late it, it is. It is such a cultural system that this belief, like you said, that this, you know, Alexander thinks he has power over her, right? It is the way society is set up. It's the way that women are taught to be. And then add in religion and, you know, traditional values and a family system of Catholicism or whatever it is. And and add in all of that. And it's the, it sets many people up, women and men, to be perfect prey. And it certainly sets up children to be the ideal candidate for someone to abuse in this way. And speaking of the systems and parents and children, with Zvera Vinsharapova, another incident, alleged incident, happened where there was physical abuse. And, you know, she also got her hands up a little. And she wanted to leave and she was going to leave and she went to take a shower first. And when she comes out of the room, she comes out. Allegedly, Zverev's father is now there. And Zverev's father allegedly says, the dad said, you have until evening to pack your stuff. He allegedly said, if you don't leave, I will sue you because I have photos of how you punched my son. So now you have this alleged incident here where this person's father has come in to reinforce what his son has done to protect his son. I'm sure he learned it from somewhere. And now you have more power and control and a system of inherited uh, toxic beliefs so that it was interesting um i kind of went off on a little tan <laughs> tangent there but i wanted to connect it there with you know 
parents and, and their kids. Their kids are watching. Some kids might not become coercive controllers, and some will. So protective parents have so much influence to prevent that. I actually, I, I'm, I'm in the process of creating a webinar that is just how to prevent your child from becoming more like the abuser, because that's what my protective parenting program is all about. How do you intervene and create the space where we don't feed into that unhealthy part of their ego development? Because it's an unhealthy ego development that's happening. And how do we, how do we support them? I just want to go back to Olio. I think it's Olio, right? Again, I want to go, I want to go back to, you know, one of the things that we talk about is that victims and survivors get accused of like reactive abuse, or some people call it mutual abuse. That is a myth that is absolutely wrong. That is inappropriate. The term is self-defense. When you are trapped over and over and over again. I don't care if you're trapped in the laundry room. I don't care if someone's coming at you and you push back physically or otherwise. That is called self-defense. Just like if you were in the den with a wolf, eventually you're going to defend yourself. So we really have to get rid of that too. I I just was on a call the other day with someone who was calling it reactive abuse. It is not reactive abuse. You're not abusing anyone. You're defending yourself. But I stick with self-defense because frankly, you do feel like you're going to be murdered sometimes. You do feel very unsafe sometimes. And why is it that if any of these behaviors that happened to her, between her and Alexander, if any of those behaviors were between her and a stranger, he would be arrested? So this is the world we live in. Women are not believed. Victims in general are not believed. Children are not believed when they disclose something. They're made to go into repair therapy with an abusive parent. We need to elevate the vernacular. Like, Course of control. And the last thing I have here when it comes to the incidents that happened between Sharapova and Zverev is when she escaped and they were at a hotel in New York. And when she allegedly comes back, all of her possessions are in the hallway. He's thrown everything out except there are a few things missing. The most important thing missing was her passport. So now now you're now you're trapped. She was able to go through a, a bunch of different hoops to get back home to Russia, but you know, if you don't know anyone and if you don't have any money, you're in a lot of trouble in that situation. So talk about, you know, I guess things along those lines. And also when it comes to course of control, having money and not having money and the the differences that it can make. Money talks, right? Money talks. She's very fortunate. It sounds like she had some support. Somebody helped her because the reality is, is that if she, how many times do victims and survivors have nothing or the money parent is, is actually going through vexatious litigation and just to drain resources, they don't care. And in that they have more money. So they're going to have more ability to hire better attorneys. This is the other thing we need. We need to change. Like attorneys need to stop defending abusers. I mean, I don't know what world we live in that abusers actually get good attorneys, but they do. And it's because of money and because of power. And that's the system coercively controlling its institutional betrayal. And that's the system harming again. So 
In this particular case, there's no doubt he did that intentionally. He probably questioned herself because this is what these people do. And that is entrapment. That's what it is. And so, again, if this was between her and a stranger, how would we treat this? But because it's her boyfriend, we treat her part, we treat it differently? No. No. And going back to what you were saying about, uh, you know, as you said, it takes on average seven times t- to leave. And Sharapova does go back to him. And allegedly, according to Sharapova, miraculously, her passport turns back up. Not surprised. <laughs> so when it comes to coercive control and everything that we've discussed today, is there anything that we've kind of left out as a whole that you wanted to kind of address and have our audience uh, hear about today? So I would just say that it's really important to remember that when someone shows you who they are, that you believe that, right? And, and so if there's a pattern of behavior of someone diminishing you and putting you down, lying, manipulating, accusing you of cheating, you know, when you haven't, or, you know, financially just exerting this power and control, it doesn't, there's something about course of control. And that's why it's so important we understand it, is that when we think of domestic violence, of course, it's very egregious. It's like significantly harmful. You can see a bruise. You but the problem with coercive control is it's not always overt. It's very often covert. It's more insidious. It's more nuanced. I promise you, if you're listening and you think that your partner is an abuser, they're tracking you. I promise you, they are tracking you right now. This is what these abusers do. So ask yourself, am I safe in this relationship? Can I be vulnerable? Is this person using my vulnerability against me? Are they using something that really is something I share that's personal or something I feel a little insecure about? Are they using that against me? Even if they do it in a nice way. Well, I know, sweetheart, I know you're, I know you're tired really early in the, at night. And then they begin to use, they're not saying it meanly. It doesn't have to be aggressive. It can be. There are horrifying cases of it being aggressive, but it doesn't have to be aggressive. So I want your listeners to know that that they are not alone. This is not only an epidemic, it is endemic in society. It is the way our society actually is set up historically. And that if they have any questions or they think they are, please reach out to someone. Please reach out for support because escaping is challenging and really difficult, but but it is really the ideal situation for some, I, I always say, I never judge if somebody decides to stay because sometimes that feels safer and it makes sense for them. And that's okay. But don't do this alone. Know that there's a world of support, whether you stay or not. And before we go, do you want to tell everyone about your protective parenting program, your consulting, and you also have a podcast? I do. I do. So the podcast is called Perfect Prey. Victims are never to blame, but I believe perpetrators prey. And I did a research study on this concept of perfect prey, subjugation, and how people end up in these relationships, never their fault. But really, the perfect prey are children. So the podcast is really set up um, for children. If, If there's any adults out there who lived in this circumstance and would like to be interviewed on my podcast, I'm looking for 
children who have reached adulthood see it clearly and want to speak about their experiences. And so that's the focus of my podcast. Um, and I have a protective parenting program where I really teach people the clinical skill set on what to do in these dynamics when their children are coming home or their children are afraid to go or their children are refusing to go or their children are telling you that they hate you and they want to live with the abuser. There's a lot of dynamics there. And I, I do that. And um, yeah, so myself and I have a colleague now and we are doing we do individual support and group support. And I have a lot of webinars that are free on my website. If you want to watch something and, you know, get some ideas about, you know, how to help and support yourself, please go to my website. I'm sure there's something there I would hope that can help out. So, um, so I call it course of control consulting, but the easiest way to remember is I know your heart.com. Well, thank you, Dr. Christine Marie Cochiola for being here with us again today. And all of her information is going to be in the show notes. And we're also going to try and make a blog out of this as well and put this on YouTube and on all podcast apps. So a really big thank you for being here with us today and sharing all of your knowledge and being a big supporter of the show too. Thank you so much, Brandon. I cannot tell you, it's so wonderful to have men in this world who get it. And that's what we need. We need, you know, I think there's more, I think men in general have more power in society and that's okay as long as they continue to elevate the conversation. So I owe you a debt of gratitude for all that you do. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Dr. Christine Marie Cochiola for being here today. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, you can join our support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. You'll see that we have forum boards inside for you to post on to get the validation you need from survivors just like you. We have Zoom meetings Wednesday evenings, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. So if you need support, join our support group today. And that is it for our episode today. I hope you found it helpful. And from myself and Dr. Christine Marie Cochiola, we hope you have a good night.